0: Welcome to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Champoli, News Director at APPA. Today, we're joined by Kurt Miller, Executive Director of Northwest River Partners. Kurt, thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, thanks so much. I, uh, you know, what do they say? First time caller, long time listener. So uh, I really feel honored to get to be part of it today, Paul, thank you.
0: So Kurt, for the first question, I wanted to ask you, could you provide an overview of Northwest River Partners for our listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely, so the first thing to know is, uh, so we're a hydropower advocacy group, and uh, so it probably isn't a surprise then that we're located in the Pacific Northwest. We, uh, the Pacific Northwest, has about forty percent of the nation's entire hydroelectric uh, production. So, a really, you know, for a, you know, a region of the country that isn't considered very big. We definitely are mighty in terms of hydropower, and uh, not only that, but our hydropower resource is so big that it represents nearly half of our entire generation fleet, uh, our generation capabilities on an average annual basis. So um, you can see that just from those two facts, that hydropower is a major, major component of um, how we meet demand here in, in the Pacific Northwest. So. Um, the the way the organization started, actually, it, it was back in 2005, and uh, it was named um, the Coalition for Smart Salmon Recovery. And I think that, that tells you a lot just in that kind of initial name and that uh, part of it was it was born out of the idea or not out, out of the idea, but it was born out of litigation that was going on around the Federal Columbia River hydropower system and you know, many of uh, many of your listeners will know about the Bonneville Power Administration, the Federal Power Marketing Administration, and yeah, you know, BPA then was getting called into you know into these lawsuits and things over uh, Environmental Species Act uh, listings of um, you know salmonids, uh, salmon and, and steelhead species, and things like that. And then they were also being called. There there was a lot of I would say, um, inaccurate information out in the media by some of the folks who who didn't like the dams. And they were saying all sorts of stuff about you know hydropower, and a lot of it just wasn't wasn't accurate. And so um, BPA approached public power essentially and just said, listen, uh, we are a neutral party really in this. I mean, we we ought, you know we sell power from the um, Corps of Engineers and Bureau of Reclamation operated dams in this region you know, we we're not an advocate. And so we, you know, we have to remain neutral on these issues. So if you want to defend your hydropower system that you benefit from in this region, um, then you'd better form an organization that can actually be a, you know, kind of an advocacy group. And so, um, that's how the organization was initially formed and it was, uh, formed really for, uh, public power or on behalf of public power, as you know, um, the Pacific Northwest is really strong in terms of public power, and uh, so we uh, in Washington State uh, really the dominant you, you know form of of utility uh, and dominant maybe not the right word but very prevalent form of utility is community owned utility community owned not for profit utilities and um, those utilities across the Northwest get preference from BPA they uh, that means that uh, these utilities have first right of refusal for power sales um, in the region. And so it was really really public power that formed Northwest River Partners. And uh, the organization had been around, like I said, since 2005. I started just a little over two years ago um, in 2019. And uh, in in terms of timing, that actually was really good because uh, it enabled me to get out and uh, visit our members across all four Pacific Northwest states. Uh, before you know, COVID hit, and uh, so I was able to meet a lot of our members and visit them in their, you know, in their communities before um, everyone was kind of locked down for a little over a year. So um, anyway, but in any case, that, you know we still have a really strong public power uh, membership. Uh, it's the majority of our membership, but we've also expanded into having really good partnerships with. Um, Ag and river transportation and also, uh, you know, kind of new like uh, hydropower, um, like um, one of our one of our members is uh, produces uh, low impact kind of microturbines for uh, for smaller scale hydropower. And they're doing really groundbreaking work on that and river forecasting uh, and things like that. So that's pretty cool. And then another one of our members uh, is developing pump storage in the Pacific Northwest. So we're definitely diversifying, but uh, public power is really our kind of our base.
0: What would you say are the key current hydropower issues in the Pacific Northwest?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So there is not a day that goes by where... It seems that hydropower is not part of the news cycle in the Northwest, and I don't know if that's common to the rest of um, the nation or not. But it is very common here, and um, and part of the reason uh, really has to do with salmon. Uh, You know, salmon um, are really key to the cultural identity of the Pacific Northwest, and even more so um they're at the heart of the cultural identity of northwest native american tribes and um you know it, it, and i've gotten to speak to a lot of those um not to a lot of the tribal members but to um several you know tribal groups and um and members of tribes and it's been um it's been really eye opening for me and you know at, you know salmon represent really um in many cases a a a core element of their religion um of their economy, of their food security. So that's, you know, it, these are it's a really big deal. I mean, like I said, in the Northwest salmon are iconic, uh, but to uh, tribal nations, it's, it's a much more sacred relationship even than that. And, um, and you may, if you're following, if, you, if your listeners follow this topic, uh, salmon are not doing well, especially Chinook salmon, which are probably the most valued of the salmon species here in the Northwest. Um, up and down the Pacific coast in the United States from Northern California all the way up through um, you know uh, Columbia River, Snake River, uh, Puget Sound rivers, uh, Fraser River in Canada, all the way up to Southeast Alaska, Chinook salmon are struggling uh, and they and they have been struggling for some time really the last 50 years um, has, sat, has had uh, some major declines across the North Pacific coast in, in Chinook salmon survival. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, a real, it's a real challenge. And in light of that, it's probably not surprising that hydroelectric dams are kind of a big target. You know, people want, and, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, I, I mean it, you know, just because we're, we are people and we want some, you know, kind of easy, clear cut solutions to the, to the challenges we face. And so, you know, for the rivers that have dams, like the Columbia River, Snake River, a lot of people will say, well, it must be the dams that are causing this challenge. Um, it's interesting because then in rivers without dams, um, they're looking for the same simple solutions, but uh, they don't have dams, so it, it's something else. Um, but the thing that I think um, really needs to be better understood here in this region uh, and, and beyond is it, it's not a local issue. As you can tell, when something like that is happening on a coastwide basis, you probably have something that's um, that, that's shared among all those different um, uh, ecosystems, and that seems to be, you know, the latest science is really pointing to warming, acidifying oceans, a shift in predator-prey relationships in the ocean in the marine environment as being the real driving factors behind all these uh, massive declines, these coastwide declines, and so. Uh, But the rub there is that's not an easy solution because that means we've got to reverse climate change. Um, We've got to address what's going on in the ocean. We have to learn more about what's actually happening in the ocean. So, you know, I think that's I think that's a major, a major issue in trying to kind of help people understand that better. um, That's a big part of what we do. Um, The other the other thing I I would be remiss if I didn't mention it in terms of um, in terms of issues in the northwest is that uh, Representative Mike Simpson from Idaho recently. And I mean, by recently, earlier this year, kind of at this, near the start of the year, floated a $33.5 billion plan to remove the four lower Snake River dams in eastern Washington state um, and spend essentially $33.5 billion to try to mitigate the loss of those dams to different communities. Because the dams, they they produce a lot of electricity, um, and, and that's important, but they also allow for river transportation for barging of, of, uh, of goods and resources. Um, many of you know that Washington State, for instance, is, uh, per, I think, maybe the largest grain exporting state in the nation, um, also produce a lot of apples, different things like that. So uh, river transportation is really important, especially to grain. And so you have that as a purpose for those dams. They're congressionally authorized federal dams. So that's one of the congressionally authorized purposes. So is hydropower. Um, you know, So is irrigation, which is really important because uh, while it does rain a lot in Washington state, most of that is on the west side of the Cascade. So eastern Washington, eastern Oregon uh, tend to be very arid. And so they rely on irrigation. So uh, it's been a really big issue here as people have kind of lined up and either felt, you know, for the people who already wanted the dams removed, um, this was a, you know, a major uh, windfall kind of a situation where they really rallied behind it. And then for the people who didn't, um, you know, I think it left them wondering, well, can you just throw money at this issue and actually end up any better off? And um, I think that's a you know I think that's a really good question. So anyway, that's been that has really sucked a lot of the air out of the room in terms of uh, other things to focus on because because that's been such a big deal. Uh, but right now, um, the odds of that package moving forward under the current current stimulus don't seem super high from everything that we've been told. So, uh, but that doesn't mean that the, this topic is done. Um, you know, uh, there there are groups that are really. Um, invested in in getting rid of the lower Snake River dams, um, you know, for for different reasons. Some really believe that um, the, you know that it will help salmon. I think uh, some just really uh, want you know want free rivers. You know, they want free flowing rivers, irrespective of salmon. And so, uh, and then for you know those of us who are like hydropower advocates, um, you know, we are concerned about what. know what that would really mean to lose that much hydropower that you know those dams literally can provide more long duration storage than all of the utility scale batteries combined in the united states uh at this time and probably for at least the uh, foreseeable future at least through the end of the year i know a lot of batteries are getting built but it just gives you a sense of the magnitude even though They're a smaller part of the overall Northwest Hydropower System. They still represent a huge ability to store energy and release it on demand, and that's and that's the you know that's really important stuff. So anyway, those are some of the things we're dealing with, and just trying to make sure that um, as the discussions go forward, our you know part of our job is to try to make sure that people are educated on these issues. So we've uh, published uh, or successfully had uh, successfully placed over 40 op-eds in regional outlets and um, in the past year and a half. And, um, and so we're doing our very best to try to elevate the level of conversation and understanding
0: there. Are there any misperceptions the public has about hydropower? And if so, what is your organization doing to help change those perceptions?
1: Yeah, thank you. That's a really great question. And I mean, really, that is the whole reason our organization exists. I mean, if you think back, you know, I mentioned back to our founding in 2005, but it was really to correct misperceptions. And, um, and, you know, and it's important because um, it, we have data that looks at you know kind of how people view hydropower throughout the years. And it, you know, back in, I think it was 2009, about 60, I'm sorry, about 90% of the region, was it 90%? I think, yeah, 90% of the region uh, believed that hydropower was a renewable resource. And then we most recently surveyed um, the Northwest residents or Northwest residents in uh, 2019, and that number had dropped from 90 percent uh, down to 60 percent. And so that's a you know a huge change in perception, right? And so for you know from our perspective, um, that means that we really have to step up our game because there's there's so much uh, what we would consider inaccurate information out there. Um, and, you know, some of those things are, uh, like we mentioned, it's like the, the idea of, okay, dams are uh, the cause of uh, salmon declines. Well, you know, one thing that's really been helping us recently is about four or five different studies have been released in the last two years that I think are really uh, challenging um, challenging the science behind those assumptions. So, well, you know, uh, even uh, maybe the most helpful came from the... Uh, intergovernmental panel on climate change uh, that uh, is part of the United Nations effort on climate science. And they basically said that uh, ocean temperatures have been warming on a near unabated basis uh, since the 1970s. And uh, it really does coincide with the same timeline that we're seeing in terms of decline of salmon survival. So, you know, things like that, I think those have been really helpful. Um, the other thing uh, you know we'll hear is like, oh, well, the dams make the rivers too hot. Well, you know, um, there's some pretty good science that says it's actually the weather that makes the rivers too hot, and that uh, and that dams can actually mitigate the most extreme temperatures because they have deeper pools, and that deeper pool takes longer to heat. So, you know so those things like that, so a lot of the stuff we focus on is science. But the other thing we have done, and it's been really successful, um, is we started a digital media campaign aimed at um, engaging young adults across the Pacific Northwest because that group um, was the group that was la- the least likely of Northwesterners to know anything about hydropower. You know, I think uh, older adults were much more familiar with the history of how, you know, hydropower came as part of. Uh, the first New Deal, the FDR New Deal, and how it electrified the Pacific Northwest. And I think people really understood that. You know, at least had that history in mind. Um, these younger these younger generations, they just they they're not aware of that history. And so we have to form a new history with them. And so we started our Power is Water, which is a hundred percent digital media uh, campaign. And it really uh, it's like fifteen and thirty six second ad spots uh, in different like streaming uh, media platforms. And social media, and it just is quick-hitting messages that really help people in, uh, you know, uh, the Northwest to better understand how closely their their environmental goals are tied to hydropower, and how much hydropower helps them and helps the region achieve those goals. So, um, you know, our data showed that that was a really successful campaign that we launched last year. We're in the middle of getting ready to do it again this year, and it should launch in just a few weeks. And certainly, um, so anyway, um, you know, things like that, uh, where we're really focused on just engaging people both through you know kind of traditional media like op-eds and and articles, and then now through digital media, um, and that's been a real growth area of, uh, of focus for our organization. And and we really support, and we I'm sorry, we really appreciate the support that has come from our members that. Has allowed us
0: to do that. So, Kurt, my final question is: What role do you see hydropower playing in the U.S. generation mix fifteen years from now?
1: Yeah, yeah, th- I think that's a really insightful question uh, because um, you know some of the things we hear is like, oh, well, you know, wind power or solar power can just replace hydropower, or especially if you pair them with batteries. And um, and I think that that um, I think that what you're going to see in fifteen years. Is even more importance tied to hydropower as kind of like a giant clean energy battery, right? You know that that you know hydropower dams they can hold water behind, you know, in the reservoir behind the dam and then release it almost instantaneously to generate energy when it's needed. So the whole idea of um, you know that all megawatts aren't created equal, that the ability to control when you produce those megawatts. To fill in the gaps for wind and solar power and to uh, instantaneously meet your demand needs, I think that that is something that is just now starting to be better understood as the nation starts to retire a lot of coal-fired power plants. And as a matter of fact, um, earlier this year, I believe it was, um, the uh, National Academies of um, Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine released a statement that basically said, hey, listen, We can get to I'm paraphrasing, by the way, they didn't say, hey, listen, (laughs) but uh, but in my paraphrase, they say, hey, listen, um, we can achieve our decarbonization goals, technically speaking, but um, from a societal perspective, we risk leaving, um, you know, um, or uh, we risk leaving Communities behind communities that cannot afford necessarily to have their electricity bills go way up because you're just you know just you're kind of tearing everything down and then starting from scratch with just wind and solar power and batteries. And so um, they encourage Congress to maintain um, our operating hydroelectric and nuclear fleets uh, wherever possible. And I think that I think it's a I think that shows a sophistication and probably not surprisingly on behalf of that group that understands. You know the ability to have these resources that can ramp up and ramp down and meet the fluctuations in the grid to make sure that you know as much as possible we don't have another you know blackout in Texas or California or wherever else you know that um, that the, those things happen. Um, you know there, we we fully expect they're going to continue to be extreme weather events given uh, climate change, but you know so from our perspective. You want a grid that has the diversity and the capability to stand up to those challenges whenever possible. Um, and so, again, the this, this ability that hydropower brings um, to the regions that have that resource to, to provide that reliable, predictable energy um, and dispatchable energy, energy that you can choose to generate with when you need it and hold it back when you don't, that's going to be just you know if you have no coal plants and very few or maybe no natural gas fired power plants, um, you're going to want you're going to want as much hydropower as you can have, even in a world where batteries exist. Uh, as I mentioned, you know the country has gone really far in terms of its development of um, utility scale batteries, but uh, right now the, the just the like the lower Snake River dams that we talked about before they can produce uh, like their average generation is around a thousand average megawatts. It's about enough generation to power a city the size of Seattle. But um, they can peak for a few hours a day in the neighborhood uh, during the winter of around 2500 megawatts um, and sustain that for a few hours uh, on a peak basis, then kind of ramp down and then do it again. They can do that for five consecutive days under normal water circumstances. Um, So when you think about that ability, like a five day peaking battery, um, that, you know, that is far in excess of what the most advanced batteries can do at this stage where they're still trying to, um, you know, break the four or six hour barrier. Um, You know, so I think that I think that ability is is what you're going to see really dependent on uh, or upon, you know, in 15 years, you're still going to see a strong and I think even a greater appreciation for hydropower as a resource.
0: Well, Kurt, thanks for joining us. It's been a very uh, insightful conversation. um, And uh, as with all the other guests who have appeared on our podcast, uh, I'd like to extend you an invitation um, to uh, come back and participate as a guest sometime in the future with us.
1: Hey, thank you so much. I will take it. And uh, yeah, so definitely uh, if stuff develops over here, we'll let you know. Thanks again. Thanks a lot.